0: scope. will stay with us and we will be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So I want to kind of go through the entire book of Philippians today and just remind ourselves of what we've covered. I'm going to do this in three ways or excuse me, in two ways, looking at three themes and five examples that we've seen in the book of Philippians. So hopefully reminding us of what we've seen in this way. The three themes are these, joy, unity, and confidence. Joy, Unity and confidence in Christ. And I put together this uh, PowerPoint to, in order to help us to be able to go through the, these themes and, and look at the different scriptures that go along with this. Alistair Begg defines joy as the rational state of the Christian in review of his spiritual position in Christ. And that's true. Considering all that we know and all that we have and all that we are in Christ, We are to be joyful. First and foremost, our joy is to be in the Lord. Our joy in the Lord. We see that in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4 as well, he says, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, our joy in the Lord is actually a characteristic of our salvation. A proof that we have salvation. We see that in chapter 3, verse 3. Where he says, we are the circumcision, in other words, we are the true believers, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Joy is something that defines us, our joy in the Lord. Second, let me see here, that we are to have joy when the gospel advances. We are to have joy when the gospel advances. In chapter 1, verse 18, if you remember, Paul was struggling. He was in prison and other people were taking advantage of that. They were kind of kicking it while he was down. But Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, what then? Notwithstanding, everywhere, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, I therein do rejoice. And yea, will rejoice. We're to rejoice when the gospel advances, whether that's us doing it and seeing souls coming to Christ, or if it's other people that are doing it, other churches and other pastors and other people that are doing it, and the gospel's advancing, we're to have joy. Joy because of the gospel's effect in our lives and the lives of others. Thirdly, we're to have joy even in suffering and hard times. We see that in chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. Paul says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. This is astounding because even though Paul may be offered as a sacrifice, in essence killed as a martyr, he says, I will rejoice and you also shall rejoice. It's hard to think of, isn't it? It's hard to do have joy even in suffering, even in hard times, even at the prospect of our own death. That's because of chapter 4 verse 4 where he says that we are to have joy at all times. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always because our joy is in Christ and Christ is in us and he is with us. Therefore, true joy is also with us wherever we go because Christ is with us wherever we go. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Have joy. We see that theme just permeating the book of Philippians. Don't miss it. Our second theme that we see in our recap of Philippians is unity. 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 Throughout Philippians, the the church has been encouraged and challenged to maintain a a spirit of unity unity and a spirit of harmony with Paul and with the others in the church. And we see this in several different ways. First of all, chapter 1, verse 27. Unity for the sake of the gospel. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. It's a verse that I've referred to multiple times through our study of Philippians. He says, only let your... Conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. Why? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Be united for the sake of the gospel. This idea of striving together means to work together side by side for the gospel. It is not to be a tub of war for the gospel. We're all to be on the same side of the rope, pulling in the same direction. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Secondly, why else unity? Unity to treat others as Christ does. Unity to treat others like Christ does. Look at chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He says, be like-minded, so that your kindness to one another is like Christ's kindness to us. Treat others like Christ has treated us. Look at chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Be united, be in harmony with one another, so that our witness is not tainted. Chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? Verses 15 and 16. So that you are blameless and harmless in the world. So that your light, that is the light of the gospel, is not dimmed by your faulty conduct. And verse 16, so that you are holding forth the word of life with integrity. That's the reason. In other words, your unity has eternal consequences, has eternal benefits. Be united so that your witness is not harmed. And then fourthly here we see, be united to work through our differences. Because we have them. You put together any group of people, there will be differences. Differences of opinion. Differences of philosophy. Differences of preference. But he told Euodia and Syntyche in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, I implore them, Euodia and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. That they come together and they agree in the Lord. Unity in Christ will overlook differences of preference or opinion. Because the Christ in me will never be at war with the Christ in me. The Christ in you will never be form of the Christ in someone else. And so it's the love of Christ that must overcome those differences for us so that we might be one in Christ. So we see joy, we see unity. There's other verses as well that go along with all of these, kind of pulling out the highlights. Our third theme is confidence. That's something we're lacking in our world today, isn't it? in a world of fake news and false narratives and and retracted statements. Don't you hate that? When somebody will make a bold statement, then get a little backlash from it and apologize for that statement, and now you have to say, wait, were they that person or are they this person? I don't know. There's no confidence in who they are and what they say. Our confidence as a Christian is where? It is in Christ Jesus, and we see that throughout the book. That our confidence is in Christ. First off, it's in his work in us. Our confidence is in Christ's work in us. Chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he who began a work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who has started salvation in us. And guess what? He will finish it. We can be confident. And then in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says you need to work out your own salvation, meaning working out what God has put in you, God has put in you that salvation. So work from that salvation Work, work at it. Verse 13, realizing that it's God who works in you for his goodwill and for his pleasure. So we are working with all of our might for or working out, excuse me, not for, but working out our salvation, knowing that God is also working in us to accomplish that very thing. And we can have confidence that God is at work in us. Confidence that Christ is working on our behalf. Secondly, we see confidence in Christ even while suffering. And that's a theme throughout the book of Philippians as well. In chapter 1, verse 29, he says this, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. God has not just given us the power for salvation. He has also given us the power for the rest of the calling. And the rest of the calling is to suffer for his name. That's part of the salvation. And even in that, are confident in Christ's righteousness. Chapter 3, verses 7-9. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. If you remember in the verses right before that, Paul says, I've got this whole list of wonderful things that I did in my own righteousness. And then he says, but they're all lost, considering Christ. Verse 8, a doubtless I count all things but lost. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered a them but dumb that I may win Christ. Here's one of the most important doctrinal verses in Philippians. Chapter 3 verse 9. And that I have found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. And this comes down to a very important question for all of us. Why? If you are saved Christ as your Savior why are you saved? Is it because of a list of things that I've done and that I've acquired and that I've accomplished in my life? Good works we might call them? Or is it because of Christ's righteousness that has been imputed to me by faith in Christ? That now when God looks at me he doesn't look at all my righteousnesses which Isaiah says are filthy rags. And what Paul says is a pile of dung. But he looks at me through Christ's righteousness. And I am saved not because of me, I am saved because of Christ. That's confidence. That's confidence in Christ. And I tell you, I've got a whole lot more confidence in Christ than I do in myself. If I had to save this, it's over. But when Christ saves, I have confidence in that, confidence in his work. On my behalf. If you're here today and you say, I I don't understand all that, I'm not sure if I I grasp the gospel that you're talking about here. The gospel comes by faith in Christ. His completed work on Calvary. (laughs) The fact that he died on the cross and took the penalty and the punishment for my sins. And that by faith in him, my sins are counted to him and his righteousness is counted. Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Philippian jailer came to Paul and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, generous because God is generous. God has promised to be generous in return. And we have confidence that God will supply he does not say he will supply all of our greed. He says he will supply all of our need. And we have confidence in that. Confidence in God's work on our behalf. So all three of these themes that we see, there's a key to them. Joy, unity and confidence. Here's the key. It is joy in Christ. It is unity in Christ. It is confidence in Christ. All things through Christ. That's the key. I want to pivot here just a little bit. We've talked through three themes. I want to talk now through five examples that we've seen in Philippians. Five examples for us to follow. And in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says... Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. In other words, Paul says, follow me, and follow other good examples. And we've seen several of them in the book of Philippians. And the first one, even though Paul is writing to the Philippians, I think the Philippians are a good example to follow as well. For a couple different reasons. One, because of their faith through hardship. We've seen this in Acts chapter 16, way back when we started talking about the Philippians. When the gospel first came to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, growth was slow and it was tough. There were pitfalls and there were tragedies in the church of Philippi. If you remember, almost immediately the gospel comes one day and the people that brought the gospel get thrown in jail the next. That'll do something to shake your faith. That the ones who told me that I should believe in this just got carted off to prison. And then throughout the history of the church of Philippi, they would have to learn to operate as Christians under opposition, under Roman opposition, because they lived in this pagan Roman colony. Yet the church of Philippi marched on, faith through hardship. And we see in that an example of enduring faith in a wicked world. Because honestly, though we live, you know, a couple thousand years later, not too much has changed. The church today must learn to have faith through hardship, faith through opposition. Our trust in Christ and our faithfulness despite hardship is is something that we have to work on. In the Philippians, we see it as an example to follow. It's a good example. The second thing we see in the the Philippians is the generous spirit of giving. One of the reasons that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians was to thank them for the gift Remember, Epaphroditus came and gave him a gift. But that wasn't the first time the Philippians had done that. They had proven a pattern of faithful giving to Paul and the gospel ministry over time. Initially, if you remember, they were the only ones to support Paul in his ministry. And so their pattern of faithful, generous giving to advance the gospel, that's an example for all of us to follow. So the Philippians, a positive example for us. The next one we see is Timothy. That's in chapter 2, verses 19 to 24. Now we see him in these verses. We also see him in the introduction, chapter 1, verse 1. Only place we really see him in Philippians. But his example is profound. We see it in a couple different ways. His concern for others, his concern for the gospel, and his concern for Paul. That's what characterized young Timothy's life. And I think if you could sum it up, it would be chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but you know the proof of him. Meaning, everyone else that I could send to you, they would come to you, but they would be seeking after their own things. Not Timothy. He seeks after the things of Christ. That's an example. Too often we get so caught up in our own things, right? It's all me, I've got this coming up, I've got to do this, I've got to buy that, I've got this that I've got to insure, But He says, you "No, know, Timothy, follow that example. He's concerned for the things of Christ and not for his own things. Right after Timothy in chapter 2, we see this example of Epaphroditus. You know, Epaphroditus was not well known. If we were to take a straw poll of Bible characters, he wouldn't show up. One, because we can't spell it. <laughs> But he wouldn't. Nobody knows who Epaphroditus is. He was not a star. He wasn't even a rising star. Yet he's the one chosen by the Olympians to travel over 800 miles and take the gift to Paul. So he had to be a man of trustworthiness, a man of faithfulness. And if you remember, through his illness and through his near death, we can follow his example and be drawn to Christ. Because he's a picture of Christ's selflessness and a picture of Christ's sacrifice for others. What he was willing to go through for the benefit of Paul and for the benefit of the Philippian church is an example to follow. Not so we can be like Aphrodite, but so that we are drawn to Christ and his ultimate example. One of the best examples in all of Philippians and in all of scripture is the Apostle Paul as well. In chapter 3, verse 17, Paul tells the Philippians, follow me. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he tells the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a good thing to do. Because Paul is obviously much further along in his spiritual journey than any of us are. So it's wise to find that person and to tuck in behind them and draft off of that current that they're producing. That's what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And we see through Philippians several of the highlights of Paul's spiritual maturity. In chapter 1, verse 4, and check in verses 9 through 11, we see his pattern of prayer for others. His pattern of prayer for others. Verse 4, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. And then in verse 9, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more, in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. What an example of praying for the spiritual needs of God believers in Christ. That was a pattern of Paul. You see that in almost every one of his epistles. I'm praying for you. That's a pattern to follow. Reserve time to pray for the spiritual needs as well as the physical of other believers in Christ. What an example. Secondly, in Paul, we see his gospel focus. I mean, we mentioned this a little already, but chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, Paul was being ridiculed by other Christians. He was imprisoned, and other people were kicking him while he was down. Yet he does not look to save his own skin. Even though these people are trying to harm him, they are preaching the gospel, and Paul says, because of that, I rejoice. We see his gospel focus. Gospel above ourselves, or are we the first priority in our own lives? Thirdly, we see his desire to glorify God in life or in death. Chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul says, in life or death, I can glorify God. Either way and in all ways, I want God to get the glory. And watch this. When your attitude is to live as Christ and to die is gain, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. To live as Christ and to die is gain. Whether I live a little longer or whether I die in a few minutes, to God be. In chapter 3 we see his pressing on towards Christ. Chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was in his past would not stop him. What may be in his future would not deter him. His goal was to press on to the very end, to know Christ more, and to finish strong. Follow that pattern. Don't give in. Don't give up. Move forward for Christ in the power of Christ. Just a few verses later in chapter 3, we see his heavenly outcome. Verse 24, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Our citizenship is already in heaven. It is from heaven that we await our Savior. It's by Christ's power that he will change this vile, broken body into a body in the likeness of Him. That's a heavenly outlook. As it says in Hebrews 11, we look for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. As Jesus said in Luke 21, we look up for our redemption draws nigh. Colossians 3, we set our affections on things that are above and not on things on this earth. A heavenly outlook must make an earthly difference. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, stand fast, stand firm. regarding Paul, though there's also more that we can see. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, we see his contentment in Christ. Sometimes Paul had everything he needed. And sometimes he had nothing that he needed. Yet every time, he is content in Christ. His contentment never wavers. Why? Chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things, meaning I can do all things when I have everything and when I have nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In all these characteristics we see in the Philippians, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and in the Apostle Paul, it all builds to this one point, and that is this, the ultimate example of Christ. The ultimate example of Christ. The door of the book of Philippians swings on the hinge of Christ's example. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The door of the book of Philippians swings on the hinge of Christ's example. We read it earlier in our scripture reading, but I want to read it again. Chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We see several things about Christ in this passage, and I'll summarize them with these four essence. The willing submission of Christ to the Father. The humble selflessness of Christ to give up what he had so that we could get what we need. The loving service of Christ, who as a king, could have come to be served, but instead he came to be a servant. And the ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life to save us. Submission, selflessness, service, sacrifice. Let this mind be in you. Ultimately, this is what we want. All the other examples, all the other lessons, all the other themes of Philippians point us The example of Christ is the trunk from which the tree of Philippians and the tree of our lives grows. All things through Christ. Now the very last verses, and I close with this, the very last verses of Philippians. He signs off the letter with greetings and with grace. Verse 21 of chapter 4, Salute so every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you chiefly, they that are Caesar's household. He sends greetings from Rome, the saints in Rome, to the saints in Philippi. And then he signs off in verse 23 with a statement similar to the end of each epistle. If you go and look through every epistle that Paul writes, it's a statement something like verse 23. How he ends every one of his writings. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May grace be with you. What do we need more than the grace of Christ? We must have the grace of Christ. We need it all the time. Because Christ is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is to be our all in all. Nothing is greater than Christ. No person is higher than Christ. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And He will reign Forever and ever. If you take nothing with you, nothing else with you from Philippians, take this. All things are through.